Go to the internet and uh, our, to our website. You can get those for free. Uh, listen to them. And uh, to get the most out of what we're going to say today, then you would really have needed to hear the first two sessions. And I just can't review everything because we'd never get finished. But uh, that being said, Ephesians 6 verse 10, Finally, my brethren, notice the Apostle Paul speaking, the Holy Ghost speaking through him to this church in, in Ephesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, we've talked about putting on, the whole, not just some of, but the whole armor of God. And we've, we've said to you, because people have asked me over the years, how do you put on the armor of God? And I think the answer to that is this. You have to know what each piece is and walk in the knowledge and the revelation of that piece. Simple as that. And we've said much about it, so I'll not take the time to talk any more about it. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And we've talked about that. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness, the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we've talked about that. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Of course, last week we talked about the loin belt of truth. And how important that is. And then having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which we'll talk about the whole message today is going to be about the breastplate of righteousness. But then verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith with, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication. In the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So in the weeks ahead, we'll get to those other pieces. But today, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, do we have the picture of the Roman soldier? If we do, I'll have her put that up there. Do we have that available? And so we'll see if we can get the picture there. And today, I got my little laser pointer here. But you see right here where that laser pointer is that that's his breastplate the roman soldier and it, it actually went on over his head and it not only covered the front part of him but it also covered the back his back part you know and so this is a breastplate and uh, what what the what paul did is he because he was uh, he was in prison a lot he was around a lot of roman soldiers and so he likened the the uh armor of god to the armory of the Roman soldier. And of course, today, the breastplate of righteousness. All right, now, uh, the breastplate on the Roman soldier of all of the different pieces of his armory, the breastplate was the most beautiful piece of weaponry that he wore. The most beautiful piece. Remember we said last week to you, that the loin belt, the loin belt was the least beautiful, the least attractive, but probably of all of the pieces, the most important. Because, of course, it represented the written word of God. But this breastplate was the most beautiful 
It covered, as I said, his front and his back, protecting his vital organs from swords and spears and so forth and weaponry that the enemy would shoot at him or so forth, you know, try to hurt him with. This breastplate was made of bronze or brass, made of bronze or brass. And the interesting thing is, is that the more the Roman soldiers would wear their breastplate, the metal would rub against as, as they would move. It was almost like scales. Have you ever seen a fish and how there's scales on a fish, you know? And, and so the breastplate looked like that in, in many ways. And when the soldier would move, the metal would, would, would move, you know, would rub against itself and it would become shinier and shinier and shinier the more the soldier wore the breastplate. Okay, so keep that in mind. Now, what happened when the when the metal on the the breastplate would rub against itself? It would become what shinier and shinier. Now, remember that because we're going to talk about that briefly at the end of this message. So, Paul likened the breastplate of the Roman soldier to the breastplate of righteousness. We are to put on and to wear. Now, it's interesting. This piece of armory. Uh, as mentioned here in Ephesians 6 chapter, it was also mentioned in the Old Testament. Notice if you would Isaiah 59, 17. Isaiah 59, 17. Notice here, it, the Bible says, for he, and this is talking about the Lord himself, talking about Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, all right. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't know him as Jesus. It took human form in the New Testament, you know, there in Bethlehem. And the human name, Jesus. How many of you know Jesus? 100% God and 100% man. Okay. But in the Old Testament, this, this armory is mentioned here. The Lord, he, that's talking about the Lord, the second member of the Trinity, put on righteousness as a what? As a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. The thing you need to remember, this armory, and the book of Ephesians brought it out very clearly, this armory is the armor of God. It's God's armor. And he's given that armor, he's made it available and given it to every believer, everyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I thought it was interesting that this was mentioned in the Old Testament as well. And you need to remember this is God's armor. Isn't it neat that God gives us his armor to wear? What an honor. What a privilege. Now, you might ask, what is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, to understand that, you just simply need to know what is righteousness. What is righteousness? So let me just tell you what righteousness is. Simply put, it is right standing with God. Right standing with with God. Remember, to put these pieces of armory on, and to, how, how do you put them on? How do you put them on? Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. We've already talked about it, but repetition is a seed of learning. How do you put them on? You, you, you don't put them on by getting up in the morning and going through, you know, like, you know, put, that's not how it's done. It's done by what? Knowing what each piece is and walking in the knowledge and revelation of that peace. So to have the breastplate of righteousness on, you're going to need to know what righteousness is. What is it? It is right standing with God. Isn't that 
something everybody would want is right standing with God? You, you'd think so. It's righteousness is right standing with God. Standing in his presence, I'm telling you what righteousness is. Standing in his presence, in God's presence, without any consciousness of sin. Standing in his presence as though you had never committed any sin ever. Think about that. Standing in his presence as absolutely pure, clean, and holy. That's what righteousness is. It, it, it means this, being approved by God and acceptable and in right relationship with him. That's wonderful, isn't it? Right standing with God. Standing in his presence without any consciousness of sin. Standing in his presence. See, if, if you're here today and there's some consciousness of sin and I'm just so unworthy and I, I just don't measure up, what does that say? It says that you don't have your breastplate of righteousness on. Standing in his presence without any consciousness of sin. Standing in his presence as though you'd never committed any sin ever, that you've never missed it even once. Standing in his presence as absolutely pure, clean, and holy. That's what righteousness is. Being approved by God is acceptable in right relationship with him. Think about that. So how does one get the breastplate of righteousness? Well, let's talk about this a little bit and look at various scriptures. Isaiah 54, 17. Now, a lot of people are familiar with this. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Have you ever heard anybody pray that? That's great, great, great to stand on, great to declare and so forth. But let's read on. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment you'll condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And then notice this. It says there, talking about the servants of the Lord, people who believe in the Lord, their righteousness is from who? From me, from the Lord. You need to remember this and don't ever forget it, that the righteousness which we have, we've already told you what righteousness is. Who's it from? It's from God. It's from the Lord. It's his righteousness that he gives to us. Their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. Notice Isaiah 61.10. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of what? Righteousness. So where do we get this robe or breastplate of righteousness from? Who do we get it from? We get it from from God. Now don't ever think for one minute that you or I can stand before God as pure and holy and clean of our own merit. We, we can't do that. As we'll see. Righteousness is from Him. Don't ever forget this, Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah 64, 6. 
says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like what? Filthy rags. So let's don't ever forget that. In and of ourselves, our righteousness is as what? Filthy, dirty rags. Don't ever forget that. Okay? You got that? Where do we get our righteousness from? We get our righteousness from God. Now notice Titus in the New Testament, Titus 3 verse 5, chapter 3 verse 5, Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Notice this, we're talking about righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, how we get it, some things about it, just some various scriptures here. How do we get righteousness? Notice this, we know it's, it, 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 it comes from God. Notice here, Titus 3, 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done. We don't, get, we don't become righteous by works we've done. Can you say amen to that? Now, a lot of people think they do. You go out on the street corner and, and you ask people, just right here in Fenton. Do you go anywhere in the United States? Right here in Fenton, and start go to Walmart. And just start asking people how, 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 how do you, how, how, how do you get to heaven? What's the number one answer that most people are going to give? Is be a good, just be a good person. And you know, I'm all for being a good person. But you know what? Being a good person will put you right smack dab in the pit of hell. Did you know that? If you're trusting in that, is that right? You have to be righteous to go to heaven. And you don't get righteous or become righteous by works of righteousness. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But I'm just talking about righteousness here. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Aren't you glad for His mercy? Grace and mercy. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what we do. So they're both good, aren't they? But it's by His mercy He saved us through the washing. Now, notice this will come into play here as we go. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing by or of the Holy Spirit. See, that's how you become righteous. It's through the washing and regeneration. No, wa Notice washing. That would be the washing in the blood of the Lord Jesus. Right? It's not a, it's not a, a, a physical washing. It's a spiritual washing. We get clean through His blood. Is that right? And we get regenerated. The, the old sinful person on the inside uh, gets regenerated, as we'll see before we close here today. And you... This righteousness, when it hits your spirit, it, it takes you from just a worm and, 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 and no good for nothing. And just in a moment's time, faster, I mean, people say, well, do you have to be water baptized to be saved? How many of you know, I believe in water baptism, but you better be saved before you go down that water. And when you receive Jesus, we'll see, you receive Jesus as your Savior, faster than you can snap your finger, faster than you can snap your eye or blink your finger. Fingers. Boo! Faster than that.
the Holy Ghost hits your spirit, washes you in the blood of Jesus, regenerates you, washes you, and makes you clean, pure, and holy, and righteous. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful, isn't it? So, it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy, so somebody doesn't misunderstand. How many of you know I'm all for good works? Good works won't save you, though. You get saved, and then once you're saved, you'll produce good works. Okay, so, so I don't want anybody to misunderstand. But a lot of people are trusting in their works of righteousness to get them into heaven. And if you're trusting in your works of righteousness, your works of righteousness are as what? Filthy? Okay? Now notice Romans, so you have to be washed, you have to be regenerated. That's what happens when you get born again, you get regenerated. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Isn't that wonderful? All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new, the Bible says. Romans 10, verse 1. Romans 10, verse 1. Notice the Apostle Paul here writing. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. Now we'll talk about Israel, but this would apply to anybody. But he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be what? Saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. See, people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. And the Bible says God's people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. Notice here. Now, notice they they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being what ignorant that means unlearned of what? God's righteousness. This is His righteousness. This is His breastplate. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And you know, we just said it a moment ago, but it bears repetition. How many people go around trying, they're, they're ignorant of God's righteousness See, you go to the person at Walmart, take the microphone, ask them, how, how, what do you got to do to go to heaven? They'll say, you have to be a good person, most of them. Is that right? Some of them say, well, you have to be, you know, confirmed, or you have to be, you know, uh, uh, take communion, or you have to be water baptized, or all these other things. And, and there's nothing really wrong with any of those things at all. I'm all for water baptism. Water won't wash away sin. It takes the blood of Jesus. You understand that? But, but you'll, you'll get those answers from the people. And these people are ignorant or unlearned of what? Of God's righteousness and they seek they go around seeking to establish their own righteousness and what do we read our own righteousness is as what filthy rags but they go about trying to establish their own righteousness not having submitted to the righteousness of God even Israel the Jews they go around trying to keep the law thinking that keeping the law will make them righteous. Keeping the law has never made anyone righteous in the Old Testament or the New. The Bible says the law was given, yes, to curb sin, but it was also given as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Can you say amen? You understand that? And so, but if you don't know anything about God's righteousness, people going around all the time. And even Christians, you'll run into Christians that are ignorant of God's righteousness. They believe on the Lord to get saved, but they think that their good works will help them get in. You know, you ask people, I've asked people in here over the years, will your good works help you get into heaven? And you'll see people, oh yeah, yeah. 
Your good works won't help the blood of Jesus one speck or iota. Can you say amen? amen? We're going into heaven. We're walking through the gates of pearl. Free gift, period. Free gift from God. Your good works can't help you. Your good works, my good works. Actually, if you, you, you trust in your good works at all, the Bible says you're frustrating the grace of God. We, we walk through the gates of pearl because of one thing and one thing only. What Jesus did on the cross through his death, burial, and then resurrection from the dead. And believing on him, receiving him. Free gift. Say free gift. Free, free gift. Righteousness is a free gift. But you see, if you don't know anything about God's righteousness, as I said, you'll go, and this is what the Bible said, they went about seeking to establish their own righteousness, not having submitted to the righteousness of God. How do you submit to the righteousness of God? You do that by saying, I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough on my own. My righteousness is as filthy rags. So I'm going to submit to God's free gift and submit to the fact that in and of myself, I'm going to go to hell. But, but hey, I'm going to receive Jesus and receive him. And I submit to God and his righteousness. And as a result, free gift, I go to heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Okay? Now, having said that, let's go to, uh, uh, well, let's read verse 4. Let's don't miss verse 4. Romans 10 verse 4 kind of just sums up everything I've been saying. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to who? To who? To everyone who believes. And that believe does not mean a mental assent. It means a heart sellout. You've sold yourself out to the Lord Jesus. Okay? A lot of people in hell right now because they mentally assented. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. There's got to be a heart faith. You have to believe where? Not in your, but in your. Okay? Don't get mental consent. Confused with faith. They look the same. They kind of even act the same, but they're very different. Ultimately, if somebody has heart faith, you'll see a change in their life. People that mentally assent, you might see a change for a week or two or a month or two, but then they go right back to their old life. Somebody that's sold out to, to Jesus, there's a change. Now, will those people still mess up once in a while? Sure. But they'll repent and get right back to it, serving God. Right? Now, Christ is the end of the law for righteous to everyone who believes. Much more we could say about that. Sake of time, let's move on. Romans 3.21, let's go there. These scriptures are so rich and powerful, as all of the Bible is. Notice this. But now, righteousness of God, the righteousness of God, we're talking about the breastplate of righteousness, but now the righteousness of God, Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, being revealed, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Do you remember the Pharisees made these kinds of statements? They said, we have Moses and the prophets. What were they trusting in? Moses and the prophets to make them righteous. How many of you know Moses and the prophets, all the prophets put together won't make you righteous. Is that right? 
You know, somebody once said that any prophet could have died on Calvary's cross. That's one of the biggest lies out of the pit of hell that's ever come. Not any prophet could have, there's only one that could have died on Calvary that would have satisfied the claims of a holy God, and it's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you, you hear that? Did I make myself clear on that? He's a unique person of the ages, 100% God and 100% man. I was just thinking about that when I was standing up here during worship. You know, the thing that makes Christianity different than any anything else is that the one we serve, he's Almighty God in the flesh. How many of you know Mohammed is not God in the flesh? Confucius is not God in the flesh. Harry Christian, not God in the flesh. Joseph Smith, not God in the flesh. Is that right? Only one, Jesus, is God in the flesh. Now... They would also say, you ever remember the Pharisees reading the Bible? They would say, we are the children of Abraham. Now remember what the reply back to them was? That God can take these stones and raise up children of Abraham. No, it's not being the... No, no, no. The Bible says you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And when you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you become the righteousness of God. Notice verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, how do you get it? Now, I've said it already, but it's hard to preach on this because I know where I'm going and I get ahead of myself sometime. When I say hard, I mean it's hard for me not just to explode up here. I just, this is just so rich. The righteousness of God, how do you, notice, the righteousness of God is through what? Through faith in who? Jesus Christ to all. And on all who what? Who believe. With their head or their, with their heart. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God hits your spirit. So let's read verses 21 and 22 again. Romans 3, 21 and 22. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God. And how do you get it? Through what? Faith in... Jesus Christ, and it's to all and on all who what? Believe. Now go to Romans 4, verse 1. Next chapter over. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham, what did he do? He believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Do you see that, dear friends? Do you see that? How did Abraham become righteous? He became righteous by what? Believing God. Now, actually, what I want to do, Bonnie, I want to go to Galatians 3.8 in the Amplified. We'll come back here. What did he believe? What did Abraham believe? The scripture, right there it is in the Amplified. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. And the word justify, if you study that out in the Greek, the word justify means this, it means to declare one as righteous. 
That's what that word means. Justified, to declare one as righteous. I like the play on words there, justified. Uh, it's just, would you believe on Jesus, it's just if I'd never sinned. Isn't that wonderful? Do you get that? Anyway, the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by what? By faith, proclaimed the good news of the Savior to Abraham in advance with this promise saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. What was it that Abraham believed? He believed in the Savior. Now I have a, I think I have a little bit different version of the Amplified. I think I have the newer version of it. Listen to the, to the way it reads here. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify, declare righteous, put in right standing with himself. That's what justify means. The Gentiles, in consequence of faith, proclaimed the gospel for telling the glad tidings of a savior long beforehand. What was it that Abraham believed that caused him to be righteous? He believed the same thing that you and I believe. He believed on the Savior, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? That's how they got saved in the Old Covenant. That's how they got saved from Adam and Eve all the way to the present hour. They looked forward to Calvary's cross in Jesus. We look backward to it, but it's been Jesus from the Garden of Eden ever since man fell to the present hour. The Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's always been Jesus. Can you say amen? And if you're here today visiting, I believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But it was the Son, the second member of the Trinity, that God the Father sent and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. With Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You see, you have the picture of the Trinity right there, don't you? God sent him and anointed him with the Holy Ghost, and he went about and carried out... Helped a lot of people and carried out salvation for us. Isn't that wonderful? But what did, I, I brought this scripture up to show you what was it that Abraham believed? He believed in a savior yet to come. And because of that, he was declared righteous by God. Well, we believe in the savior, Jesus, who has already come. He believed in Jesus yet to come. We believe in Jesus who has already come. In either case, when you believe on him, you become the righteousness of God in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I think, I think that, 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 that's just, that just excites me. Okay? Now, and, and by the way, you need to understand something else about Abraham. You talk about believing God. <clears throat> that man believed God to the point that he took his son and laid his son on the altar and put the knife up and was ready to... You want to talk about Bible faith? That's certainly not mental assent, is it? That's, I mean, that's Bible faith. He put his son... And the Bible said he had received his son, Isaac, as raised from the dead in a vision before they ever went up on that mountain. Is that right? And actually, you study it out. God told him which mountain to go to. Remember that? And it was the same place, I believe the exact same place that Jesus hung on the cross thousands of years later. What did he believe? He believed in a Savior. And when he believed, it was it, it just that quick he became the righteousness of God. Actually, 
let's get it straight. In the old covenant, they were, they, they were righteous on account until Jesus came. See, it was accounted to him as righteousness. You couldn't become righteous till Jesus was raised from the dead. Is that right? Yes or no? So in the old covenant, it was, it was credited to their account. But once Jesus was raised from the dead, then all those folk in Abraham's bosom through the ages down from Adam and Eve all the way down to the time Jesus was raised from the dead. When he was raised from the dead, bless God, righteousness hit their spirits. And then they were able to go from Abraham's bosom up into heaven. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's exciting, isn't it? See, we... See, in the Old Testament, when they died, when saints died, people who believed on Jesus, when they died, they went down into Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus was raised from the dead, he led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. He, ra- he took them right up on there, up to heaven. See, when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, all those people in Abraham's bosom who had righteousness accredited to their account, they got bang, they got hit with righteousness and they went up to heaven. Glory to God. But us, see, we're, we don't have it. Righteousness is not credited to us. We become, we'll see it. We become the righteousness of God the moment we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we die, bless God, we don't go down, we go up. Can you say amen? Amen. Because we're worthy to go boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because of ourselves? No, our righteousness is as filthy rags. We get to go into the throne of God boldly, not haughtily, not pridefully, but boldly. Why? Because of the righteousness that God has given to every one of us. Can you say amen? Amen. My gosh, this is exciting. Now let's get back to Romans 4. Verse 3, Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, verse 4, the wages are not counted as grace but as debt. See, it's not by works we've done. But to him who does not work, you can't work for your righteousness. Free gift. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted or credited as what? Righteousness. That's how important faith in Jesus is. Now notice Romans 5.17. We could go on and on. You getting anything out of this? I think it's interesting. Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense, this is talking about Adam now, in the garden, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the what? The what? Is righteousness a free gift? Absolutely. The gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment, that's Adam's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Men, that means women too, the human race. Resulting in condemnation, even through the one man's righteous act, that's Jesus, The free gift came to all people, men and women, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, it says many, but actually all, because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Through Adam's disobedience, all were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, that's Jesus' obedience, many will be what? Made what? Made righteous. So see, through what Adam did when he fell, see, the Bible says a woman was deceived, but the man wasn't. Adam knew full well what he was doing when he essentially bowed his knee to the devil. He committed high treason against God. He ate of that fruit. And when he did, all of humankind became sinners and cut off from the life of God. 
and death passed to all of us. But Jesus came, never sinned one time, and through his righteous act, all who receive him will be what? Made righteous. Now, actually, a more powerful scripture of that, uh, verse of that, is given in 2 Corinthians 5.21. 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Going to read it in the King James Version. Notice this. It says, for he, that's God the Father, has made him, that's Jesus the Son, to be what? To be what? Sin. Now, as you study in that word sin, it means two things. Sin offering, yes, it means sin offering. But you also study into it, you'll see it means actual sin itself. Both. The Father, He, the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin. Now, Jesus didn't know any sin. He never sinned one time. He could have, he just never did. How many of you glad he never sinned? He was tempted 40 days and nights of the devil. He could have sinned, he just never did. Some teach, well, Jesus could never have sinned. Well, let me tell you this. Well, the Bible says God can't be tempted with evil, never, neither tempted he any man. Well, Jesus was tempted. He wasn't tempted in his deity. He was tempted in his humanity. And if, if those temptations I mean, they, they, they were valid temptations. He could have sinned. How many of you know he just never did? Right before he went to the cross, he would, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he was striving against sin. See, we think of sin as, as cussing or stealing or cheating on your wife, and that's all, that's all sin. But, but you see, and, and Jesus was tempted in all those points. He never sinned. But right before he went to the cross, he was, any step out of the will of God is sin. Is that right? And how many of you know, right in that Garden of Gethsemane, he was tempted to step out of the will of God. How, how do I know that? Because he said, Father, if there be any other way. And then the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood striving against sin. How many of you glad he never sinned? Not one time. Our eternal salvation rested on it. And he never sinned. Not one time. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. So there you have it. Just leave that up there. Jesus, would you agree with me that he came forth from the Father, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Holy Ghost? He came forth from the Father. The book of Hebrews said that Jesus said before he was ever born, he said you He said you prepared a body for me before he was ever born. And he said that, and then he came forth, born in Bethlehem. How many of you agree, would agree with me that he was a very righteousness of God? Absolutely. And how many of you would agree with me that we were lost sinners? Is that right? So Jesus came forth as the righteousness of God without one sin, lived 33 and a half years on this earth, no sin, never, not one time. He made the statement, he said, the devil has come and he has nothing in me. Remember him saying that? He never sinned. And he went on that cross at nine in the morning and he hung there for three hours. The Bible says at high noon, darkness covered the land. Remember that? How many remembers that? And in Scripture, darkness oft times is a type of the judgment of God. 
And he cries out as he hangs on that cross, actually somewhat later than noon, if I'm not mistaken. But he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And I believe in that moment, the very righteousness of God, Jesus, was made sin along with our sin. Hung there as a sin offering, all right, shed his holy blood, but he was made sin with our sin. You okay? Why? So that we might be, what? Made the righteousness of God in him. Do you get that? Now, I studied into that word made, that word made, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That word made means to come into being through the process of a birth. It would be the new birth. It means to be born, to be produced, to come into existence, to be created. That's what happens when we receive Jesus. Our spirit gets recreated in the likeness and image of God. In the likeness and image of Jesus. We come into being as an event, or it says that word made means to come into being as an event or phenomenon. How many of you know it's a great phenomenon, the new birth, isn't it? It's a great phenomenon. From the point of origin, see, when you receive Jesus, that quick, you're made the righteousness of God. And it's a new point of origin. Everything before that, the old man, it's all gone, all gone, all gone. Can you say amen? Glory to God. And we become the very righteousness of God. Now listen to this. Jesus didn't... Oh, this is, this is one of the most powerful statements. Jesus did not commit a sin to become sin. Yes? You agree with that? Jesus did not commit a sin to become sin. And thus we do not commit, cannot commit a righteous act to become the righteousness of God. Did you get that? Think about that. Jesus did not commit any sin at all to become sin. God the Father made him sin. Why? So that we, through no righteous act of our own, He didn't commit any sin to become sin, thus we can't commit any righteous act to become the righteousness of God. He hung there without any sin, and it's a great exchange. God made Him sin so that we, throughout, with, with, with no righteous act of all, just through faith, we become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus, I'm going over this again. Jesus did not commit a sin to become sin. Thus, we cannot commit a righteous act to become the righteousness of God. So many people think, well, I got to live right. I got to live right. Yeah, we need to live right, but that doesn't make you righteous. You become righteous as a free gift. He makes you righteous in the instant you receive Jesus as your Savior. Isn't that wonderful? The very righteousness of God. We cannot commit any righteous acts to become righteous. 
Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We receive Jesus in an instant of moment's time. I want you to get this in a moment's time. Well, after I come up out of the waters of baptism. No, no. In an instant of time, you receive Jesus and the power of God hits your spirit and you become washed, regenerated, born again, brought forth a new new point of origin. Right there, the old man dies and you in Christ become the very righteousness of God apart from anything that we could do in and of ourselves. God made him sin so that we could become righteous. Glory to God. Isn't that wonderful? And we could go on and on. God made him sick so that we could be made well. God made him poor so that we can have all our needs met. I like, and this is a good statement, there's only one man that God has ever made sick. And his name is Jesus. And he made him sick so that we could be well. And I'll go, I got Bible, I can stand here for three hours and back up my next statement. But I tell you what, God has only sent, we wonder God sending people to hell. No, God has only sent one man to hell and that's Jesus. So that we don't have to go. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus died on the cross. The Bible is clear. His spirit descended. I, I'm not, people want to argue with me on this. I got more Bible than you've got sense. I don't mean that ugly, but I get some people that come up and want to argue with me. I didn't mean that at you. I'm, people out there, well, Jesus go to, Jesus went in, the Bible says when he died, his spirit came out of his body and he went into the, not only just into hell, he went into the lowest pits of hell and was there three days and three nights paying for Adam's high treason. Yes, people want to say, look, it was not only the cross, it was his virgin birth, it was his sinless life, it was his precious death on the cross, it was the shedding of his precious holy blood. Yes, it's the cross, my God, the cross, the cross, the cross. But it didn't stop at the cross. It is finished. What was finished? The old, the old, the, the, the sacrifices and the law and all of that, he came and fulfilled it and he finished it. But if everything was finished on the cross why did he have to be raised from the dead it was his virgin birth his sinless life his death on the cross the shedding of his sinless blood bless God he was put in that tomb but his spirit went into hell the Bible says and was there three days and three nights the Bible says in in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah he'll see the travail of his soul and be satisfied and when the claims of a holy God were met then the Bible says in the book of Hebrews you can read what God hear the words he used to raise Jesus from the dead and my God Jesus was raised he's the firstborn from spiritual death he's the firstborn from among many brethren he wasn't the first raised from physical death other people had been raised from physical death it just they died again but Jesus was first raised from spiritual death right in the pit of hell bless God he'd been cut off from the life of God for you and me after three days his spirit was hooked back up with the life of God bless God he walked across that great divide came over into Abraham's bosom. They had a praise service and all the righteousness of God hit all of their spirits and the Bible says he took them all to heaven. Can you say amen? And then he came, He stopped off. He got his body. His body was resurrected. Praise God. He came out of that tomb. He said all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Can you say amen? Yeah. Woo, glory to God. 
Man, I can preach a white crowd happy, bless God. If I was preaching Melvin Dunn's church, everybody would be running around the room right now. It takes a lot of anointing to preach a white crowd shouting, bless God. And even harder to do in a Baptist church, which just isn't. How many's glad he's been raised from the dead? God's only made one man sick, Jesus. So you don't have to be. God's only sent, he's only made one man poor. That's Jesus, so you can have your needs met. He's only sent one man to hell, and that's Jesus, so you don't have to go there. You receive him, and you become the righteousness of God, and you miss hell and make heaven. Can you say amen? Amen. Glory to God. (sighs) So, he made him to be sin. Boy, the anointing. You say, why are you so bold? It's not me. It's the anointing of God on me. You catch me a half hour from now back in the office, I won't be like this. So you know, thank God for the anointing. He made him, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now I'm going to close. I need to close. What are we talking about today? The breastplate of righteousness. This right here is my, this is an example now. I'll close with this. This is my suit coat. It belongs to me. It's mine. Now this is not a hard question. You got two questions. I just told you this is mine. So whose coat is this? Mine. Do I have it on? Now, this is an example of most Christians that I've met, including me at times, when the anointing's not on me. You see me back in the office sometimes. You ever have a low moment? You ever feel sorry for yourself? Ever feel like you're not, you don't measure up? Unworthy, undeserving? Kind of got your head down. Anybody ever do that besides me? See, just a few moments ago, you saw me with my breastplate on, brother. But example, most Christians, including me at many times in my life, I have the coat, but I don't have it on. See, when you believe on Jesus, you get the robe of righteousness. It's yours. It's God's that he gave it to you. It's a free gift. But just because you have it, doesn't mean it's on. You understand that? And I'd say the majority of Christians that I've met over the last 40 plus years, they have that robe all right, but they don't have it on. They have it. They're in possession of it. They die. They miss hell. They make heaven because they've got it. But we don't need to just have it. We need to put put it on. You put it on, not in and of yourself, but you put it on. You could, you could, not pridefully or haughtily, but in the boldness of God, just like you saw a moment ago. What you saw a moment ago was an example of a Christian with his breastplate on. 
I mean, when that breastplate's on, if you'd have come up to me a few moments ago and told me I was unworthy, I'd have spit in your eye. Don't take that personal. Because I know who I, I mean, could you see that? Boldness. Now, do I have my, it's still just as much mine, but it's on. What did I say? You get away from this anointing, you get away and you get out back by yourself and this report comes and that report comes. Or, now, do I still have it? Is it still just as much mine? But now it's not. Let's be sure we keep it. He made us righteous. Let's don't just have it. Let's have it on, right? Put on. Put it on. I gave you a lot of things today. So you understand the righteousness of God. You can, it's easy to tell if you have the breastplate on. Just listen to people's words. I'm just so unworthy. I'm just, I just don't know if I measure up. I just, I just don't, is, do I have it on or not right there? No. But you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not in and of myself, but in him. I, I can do everything he said I can do. Now, is that the talk of somebody who's got their breastplate on? Now look at this. I think this is cool as, as I close with this. This is cool. I heard years ago somebody say that the sword of the Spirit was the only offensive piece of weaponry. But you know what? I've come to find out that's not true. This breastplate was a defensive piece of armory primarily. But do you know that the breastplate that the Roman soldier wore was also offensive? And let me give you a scripture Notice this, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. Let's read it in the King James first. We're closing right here. Notice this, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Did you, did you see that? The armor of what? Righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Now, okay, so let's read that in the Amplified Bible. And let's see how the Amplified, just the last part of that. Notice this. It talks about by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, like holding the sword to attack. And for the left hand, if you will, like holding the shield to what? To defend. This right here, I have a different version of the Amplified, says, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand to attack and for the left hand to defend. Now, now why am I saying this? Listen to this. The breastplate of a Roman soldier, remember that Roman soldier we had up there, a picture of that? That breastplate of a Roman soldier would glare in the sun, thus blinding his enemy. Remember, the more they moved with that breastplate, what? The shinier it got? So the breastplate primarily was defensive, but it also served as offensive because the sun would glare off the breastplate and blind the enemy. So too we, you and me, should put on the breastplate of righteousness just like I have my coat on here, and keep it on and let the glory of the Son of God, let the glory of Jesus reflect off of our breastplates that He's given us and let that glare blind the devil and all of his cohorts. Can you say amen? amen. That's good, isn't it? 
So the breastplate is not only defensive, but it's also offensive. And let's keep that breastplate on that God gave us and stand there, not in our might and power, but in His might and His power. Praise God. And let the, let the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, bounce off that breastplate and just blind the living tar out of the devil and his cohorts. You know, the devil's blinded a lot of people. The Bible says he has. And he can appear as an angel of light. But how many of you know the light of God is greater than the light of the devil? And let's just wear that breastplate. Let's use it not only defensively, but offensively. I like what one guy said. You get all that armor on. Whose armor is it anyway? It's God's armor. You get that armor on, bless God. You walk around in that armor, the whole the whole thing. And I, I, one guy said this years ago, and it's right on. The devil, you see, we give the devil. Now, he's a, he's a worthy opponent, but how many of you know he's defeated? And, and, and a lot of times you give the devil more credit than he's due. You get that breastplate on and, and, and all the rest of that armory on and you walk around, the devil don't know whether he's fooling with you or with God himself. Did you get that? Now, now let's see if you got your breastplate on. Oh, Pastor Terry, you shouldn't have just said that. Well, if you've got that thinking, you don't have your breastplate on. Oh, I'd never say nothing like that. You mean that the, the, the devil could come up to you and not, and, and not know whether he's dealing with God himself or with the devil? That's right. If, we, if I'm dressed in God's clothes and I got all that armory on, how's the devil going to know whether, whether it's God or me behind that? Oh, I'd never say that. Well, put your breastplate on and then get a revelation of it. I'm not putting myself equal with God, no. But he gave me his clothes to wear and I'm going to wear them. How about you? And I'm going to stand there and let the glory of God's Son bounce off me and hit the devil, bless God, and blind him. And let's don't just have me do it. You know what those Roman soldiers would do? They'd all get together in, 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 in unison, and they'd gather together, and they'd stand out there in the sun and just think about what, 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 what the sun hitting one person's breastplate. But you get, you get several dozens and dozens or, or fifties or, or hundreds of soldiers standing there, and we're all soldiers in the army of the Lord. And we put on our breastplate and we don't come to church to squawk into crab and complain and have strife. No, no. We come with our breastplates on, bless God, and we stand as one together with arms hooked, bless God, and we stand and let the light of Jesus shine off us and bounce off and hit the devil and blind him and his cohorts. They don't know whether they're coming or going. Can you say amen? Glory to God. My goodness, this is exciting. Well, stand with me if you would. Glory to God. Diane, you come up and close up the service. Just whatever's on your heart. You don't need a microphone. Just talk loud.